Good morning and welcome to another episode of Faith and Flagler. My name is Brian McMillan. I'm your host. I'm also the publisher and co-owner of the Palm Coast Observer and the Ormond Beach Observer newspapers. And thank you for listening to Faith and Flagler because building faith strengthens our community. Today I have for the first of two back-to-back episodes... Joe Campatella, pastor of Christian Life Center. Thank you, Joe, for joining me. Man, thanks for having me again. This is uh, this is exciting. Thank you for the privilege. Absolutely. We uh, we did a, a YouTube version of this a few months ago. Yes. Sir. And when you agreed to come on, and we're going to spend two episodes talking about Luke two, or we're going to start in there. You know, thinking of the uh, these are the pr- some pre Christmas shows. Um, but I've been kind of. I've been really looking forward to this, to being very honest. Like, um, I think it'll be fun to, to go through this. It, it, Luke two, um, the nativity story is like, it's so familiar to a lot of people. We just talked about, you know, Charlie Brown and Linus reads it at the end of the Christmas special there. And so many people I think have a tradition where somebody reads Luke two on Christmas Eve or something like that. We do. We always have, I don't know if you guys do that. But, we do. My um, dad is yeah. sort of the patriarch. He reads yep. it every, every Christmas Eve. So your dad also was a pastor for a long time. That's correct. Yes. Sir. Um, so that's cool. I've met him as well in, in his church, um, years ago. Um, so I want to first off say thank you to three companies in Flagler County that believe in the mission of this show and, and been supporting it from the beginning. And that's Douglas property and development. Thank you to big John's appliances and thank you to Stevenson Wilcox and associates, um, for making this all possible. So first of all, um, Joe Campatella, you've been the pastor at CLC, Christian Life Center, for five years. Yes, sir. Full-time ministry for 20 years. And your church is on Palm Coast, or I'm sorry, on Beltaire Parkway. What's the street address? 5200 Beltaire Parkway. Okay, it's just across the street from the library. That's right, yes, sir. It just so happens that the the Observer Office in Palm Coast just moved to 50 Liani Way, so I could look out my window and see you walk into the church if I wanted to, if I caught you at the right time. Are in the you parking the, lot. You're the I'm the back is, office, okay. like right across the parking lot behind wow. that church. So, so it's we kinda... share the cat house over there. I don't know if you know about I don't the, know about the cat house. There's a cat house behind your office. I don't know if I want to know this. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a, a community of homeless cats okay. that, um, well, that are over there. So yeah, that's great. Very good. I'm glad to know that we share a cat house. Um, but I, I wanted to, before we dive into, to Luke 2, I wanted to, to tell you that I, I talked to another pastor this morning, actually, who lives nearby where I live. And um, I was like at, at the bus, I was going to the bus stop with my kids and I saw Kevin James standing out there wow. on his driveway. Wow. And I've met him before. Yes. But he's the pastor of Palm Coast United Methodist Church. Yes. And when I told him that I was, I wanted to interview him for a future show as well. And I told him I was interviewing you and he was like, Joe Campatella, we wouldn't have had all this happen without him. And like, oh, he's man. more than just a great pastor. He's, he's a like, gym. So anyway, he had a lot of nice things to say about you. So Palm Coast United Methodist Church, PCUMC, used to be in the your building now. That's correct. And they're moving north on Beltaire. Correct. Into a brand new facility, which is very exciting for them. Yes. And, and they're probably a month or two away um, from, from going in there. So when, as soon as they move in... He'll be a guest on the show also and talk more about it. But wow. say, say something nice about Kevin James. Well, I tell you, he is he is an incredible, 
I, I listen to him speak every morning because I get there early. Mm-hmm. They rent from us. That was um, uh, something they needed as they build their new building. But I listen to him speak every morning, and he is a, an amazing communicator. And we've done lunch and just enjoy great fellowship. And uh, I feel the same way about him as he does about me. That's so Very kind good. of him to say it. That's wonderful. Um, so, okay. So, um, again, one more thing before we dive into Luke 2. <laughs> sure. I had I had a, an experience last night and going into this morning that I thought was kind of, um, it was kind of like this spiritual metaphor that I wanted to uh, unravel for you a little bit or have you helped me, you know, crystallize this for me? So last night I'm wearing a, a white shirt right now, white button up shirt, dress shirt. And I, as I do, which I must say, days, you look very dapper well, and you. I look like a slob in no, comparison. No. I did not get the memo. Here. I'm wearing a <laughs> jean shirt. <laughs> All good. So I, I, I went to go and wash my white shirts last night and I noticed that, you know, my kids had laundry and, and I had to switch them over, you know, and of course I'm grumbling about, you know, I got to take after my, do my kids chores for them kind of thing. But as I was taking laundry out of the dryer, I noticed blue smudges in the, the barrel of the, the, whatever it's called in the dryer. And I found that it was a teal gel pen had been washed mm. And was now smeared around on the inside of the uh, of the dryer, and I'm like, I can't put my white shirts in there now. Fortunately, unfortunately for him, Luke, my five year old, his clothes were in the washer, and he had to get. Moved. I have five kids. How many kids do you have? I know we talked about this. We have four, and four we kids. have one in the oven. So really? I'm about to catch oh, up with you, Congratulations. Thank you. He's um, got six. <laughs> oh, very cool. Alex has got Alex six. Alex is doing the video for uh, the CLC, which is awesome. So I'll, well, maybe I'll watch it again. It's interesting to watch yourself, right? So <clears throat> anyway, my, my metaphor here was I knew that or one, one thought came to mind was like, is that really going to ruin my shirts? Or is it like kind of caked on there that it's not going to? I'm kind of debating. And I thought this is kind of like a metaphor about sin in a sense. Like I see there's something wrong here. I'm kind of like I need to maybe fix something in my life. Maybe I can get away with just kind of covering it back up and I'll just put my clothes in there and hope hope for the best, Mm. you know? And that, that occurred to me like, you know, though your sins be as teal as your daughter's gel pen, they will become white <laughs> as snow. And like, how, you know, how can I, how can I do this? And so I went in and I got my, some, you know, wipes and some paper towels and I started cleaning it all out. And it took a while. It was wipe after wipe was getting blue, you know, and I was wiping it out. And fortunately I got it, got it taken care of. But that emotion that I had mm. of could I possibly get away with not cleaning this out? Maybe it's, it's not, it wasn't wet to the touch, you know, but I just wondered if you could kind of comment on that, you know, tell, tell me about how does that, how does that human psychology with our, with our something I know is a problem, you know, maybe I have like a sin that I'm struggling with. Wow. That's a great metaphor. I mean, that's an amazing metaphor. You know, it's interesting too, because, Probably, I'm assuming your white shirt had some stains on it. It didn't actually. It didn't have no. stains. You escaped unscathed. Well, well, I I went through the um, I I put I I wiped it out. 
I put my son's clothes in because he was next in line. I wasn't just sacrificing his clothes, you know, but I put them in there. They dried out. And when I put mine in, you know, later, it seemed like it had resolved. Like I got mm. it wiped out enough. It was clean. And, wow. and I'm wearing one as we speak with no blue marks on I it. I started looking at it as soon <laughs> You're as you trying started. To, trying to make sure that I, <laughs> <laughs> I was judging. I was definitely judging. <laughs> Yeah, that's a powerful metaphor. You know, um, Paul talked about how a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Yep. And you can leave it in there, you know, if you want to, but it's going to affect everything eventually. And, uh, wow, that's a that's a really cool filter to, to see that. I yeah. guess bleach would be the blood of Jesus, Very, you know, to I take guess. care of that. <laughs> um, so then this morning, I'm wearing this shirt. And somebody, again, I'm cleaning up after my kids. Doesn't it seem like there's a lot of cleaning up after people in a, in a household? 24-7. <laughs> well, there's a bowl in the sink, and it has some remnants of, you know, something tomato-based. So I pour it out, and I turn on the disposal. And I realized as I was doing it that it was going to spit because there was a lot of water in there, you know? So, And as I turned it on, I kind of like jumped back to try to save my shirt from getting a red speck on it. And again, because I'm kind of like making this analogy, the white shirt, the purity, you know, of trying to be live righteously, things like that. Do I have the same kind of reaction to temptation Mm. to jump away from it and try to really like, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of afraid of getting too close to that because once it hits me, like, I got to, I got to deal with it in a lot bigger way, you know? So just wondered like, how do we, how do we understand our, what's our relationship to temptation? How do we, how do we get that where we really jump away from that? Like I would to, I want to save my shirt. Do I want to save my own, you know, Mm. soul in the same way? Yeah, that's powerful. There's two scriptures that come to mind. James, at the end of his book, he said to keep yourself unspotted from the world. The world has a tendency to splash on you. And it's yeah. not it's not necessarily that you're directly getting involved in it intentionally sometimes. Yeah, it was an uh, it was a it was a good thing I was doing. I was trying to clean out my, you know, but just sometimes life happens. Yep. You know, it can spot you. Way. Yeah. It can spot you. And then and then another place says shun the very appearance mm. of evil. If something even looks like it it can be evil to shun it, to get a run. Paul said to Timothy, his young son of the gospel, flee youthful lust, flee, run, because it can touch you. It can get on you and it'll affect you. Whether you're intentionally doing it or not, it can still spot you and affect you. Yeah. That's amazing. So you have a lot of laundry spiritual <laughs> paradigms in your... Uh, it's either laundry or it's uh, cleaning dishes. Dishes, yeah. No, but this Housework. is the... Uh, this is, I mean, I guess Jesus talked a lot about pretty everyday, normal things. Well, I'm sure your wife is telling you, go do some housework so you can learn more spiritual principles, I obviously. think so. I, it's probably good that I was doing that. That's um, awesome. All right. So Christmas is coming. Um, and uh, again, we talk about Luke 2 a lot uh, around this time of year. And I thought it would be cool to kind of go, just go really slowly through it. Um Verse by, verse by verse and try to understand. I'm sure you've thought about it, pondered it over the years, as as I have and a lot of people who are listening. What No matter how you know religious people are, like you hear these words a lot. Um, so in Luke 2, and we're both happens to be, I, I go to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We happen to use the King James Version, as do you. So, um, 
But it kind of struck me. I was listening to this a couple times this morning to kind of review again. Luke 2 starts out with this tax. Um, came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And I noticed in Luke 3, the beginning of Luke 3, it talks about in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Pontius Pilate being governor. It's like the writer of this gospel is very interested in the political atmosphere Mm. of what's about to happen. And I wondered if you could kind of tell me some of your thoughts about what does the, what does living a gospel centered life have to do with the political atmosphere? You know, are are we supposed to separate those? Are we supposed to kind of, how, how, how are they connected or are we, how do we're supposed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world? Does that mean stay out of politics? Avoid politics? Well, I, I don't know that it means that exactly. You know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. When you're, when you're born again, born of the water and the spirit, you become a citizen of a new city, a new nation, a new kingdom. And so Luke is obviously the writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He's not a Jew. He's a Greek physician. Mm-hmm. And he is very familiar with education. He's very familiar with uh, schooling, uh, obviously political climate. And to me, the backdrop of the politics of that era is so interesting because this was not done. What What's happening in Luke 2, the birth of Jesus Christ, the growing and maturity of Jesus Christ is not done in a friendly environment it's done in an incredibly hostile environment towards these things there it's in a state of oppression yes a political oppression going yes on. and tyranny and, and of course caesar augustus was the the first emperor of of rome you know he's the one that is establishing this uh, the first official emperor after you know julius caesar had his run and then uh mark antony had his run and then the triumvirates that occurred mm-hmm. Um, These all sound familiar, but I'm glad you're the one who's spat, who, who's saying this. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> he's the consolidator. He is the one that hmm. brought the empire and, and put the iron curtain, if you will, over everything. And so, so to have this backdrop of the greatest miracle to ever occur, yeah. the birth of Jesus Christ on earth, in what you said, this incredibly hostile, oppressive, tyrannical environment that they're working in. They're not, you know, Joseph and Mary are not running from the taxes. They're not trying to be tax evaders for the sake of the kingdom. I think that's an important. I agree. That's really interesting. They're, they're law abiding citizens in an oppressive state. Yes. It's interesting. As long as it does not conflict with the scripture, right? We live according to laws of, 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 uh, our day. And so they're, they're working within the framework that Caesar, the law, is giving to them. And even as oppressive as that is, you know, they had to, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but they had to walk almost like 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Yeah. So verse four, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, all political guidelines that, you know, you're going back to where you, you know, you came from. Um, but it, it's interesting that all this is just happening in this. There, there's, 
there's so much uh, uh, acknowledgement of the political realities of why these things are happening. Yes. And yet these things are all prophesied. Yes. I mean, the city of David, Bethlehem, um, these, it's like, well, God knew what the political realities were going to be. And the prophets of old testified that these things would happen. What, what kind of reassurance should that give us today? We have a political world around us that's turmoil. Um, I guess maybe God wasn't surprised about that either. Mm. That's That's a powerful statement, Brian, because two things stand out to me about what you just said. Number one, God's prophecy is, is going to come to pass no matter what obstacles are there. Doesn't matter if Caesar's in power. Doesn't matter if you're having to, to do things that are extremely inconvenient. Number two, the prop, just because there is a prophecy doesn't mean there will not be incredible obstacles. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there is, this is a prophecy from God that Mary's, uh, Almost about to have a, she's great with child, as right. Luke 2 says. Uh-huh. <laughs> she's traveling 90 miles on a donkey yep. being great with child. I've heard that it's uncomfortable to be pregnant. I've heard that too. <laughs> yeah, we don't know firsthand, but uh, we, we know uh, by watching. And so so what is this? You would think, well, if God's given you a word, if God given is giving you a prophecy, surely all the doors are going to open, all the floodgates, yep. are, you're going to just walk right into it. No, actually, you're probably, you might even fight a little bit more than you would if God hadn't given you a prophecy. Like in, in Genesis 12, mm-hmm. and I'm going, you, you give me the, no, no, the look going. if I go too long, but, <laughs> but Genesis 12, God says to Abram, come out of the Ur of the Chaldees into a land I will show you. And I believe it's verse six. And it says, and, and Abram came with all his family and the Canaanite was in the land. So God says, Hey, here's your promise, buddy. And Abraham goes and looks over this promised land. There's enemies everywhere. He shows up. I thought this would be empty. Yeah. Yep. I mean, maybe he didn't really think it'd be empty, but, but yeah, you'd think that God's telling you to do something. It's going to work out, but yet there's so many signs, so many times when you get there and you realize this is not, not so good. Just, I mean, kind of like in a lot of, doesn't mean that they're easy, that they're, um, he doesn't have these challenges. Um, but, yeah, and in a sense, I mean, God used the political climate. Which was it? Did did God use the political powers to help the prophecy come to pass that these things would happen in these cities and they would come out of these cities, or did He just know in the future? I guess it's all kind of the the mystery is you know, in in our minds, one thing has to lead to another, but in for for God, like there's no uh, there's no real linear. Uh, restrictions like we have, like chronological restrictions. That's powerful. It's pretty hard to comprehend all that. But. And, and, and to, you know, God did know, you know, he gave Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar the prophecy of the legs of iron, which is the Roman empire, mm-hmm. the two legs, which would be the Eastern and Western Roman empire. Mm-hmm. And so he knew this would happen. And, and, and for God to do it in literally the most oppressive political environment that the world, it's iron, it's a kingdom of iron. Mm-hmm that the world has ever known there's he's saying look it's it can be difficult but nothing's going to stop the promise of god nothing how do you think joseph was feeling here tired <laughs> concerned he's going 90 miles with his wife on a donkey and it's not his baby mm. the weirdest situation for a mortal you know father to be i mean 
it's not his child, but it is his child. Um, and they're, they're walking to Bethlehem to pay taxes. Like this probably is also a pretty, um, how does he feel like God's supporting him in this big mission that he has? He's, he's seen an angel and help reassure him and they've come out of Egypt and all these kind of things. Um, how does he feel like God's supporting him as he's going? Yeah. And, and of course Egypt would be right after this. Oh, that's right. You're right. (laughs) But, but you know, it's, that's a great question because to me, Joseph is the unsung hero of the story. It's, as you said, it's not his child. He has seen an angel. That's a pretty powerful moment. Um, but he's doing all this work. Um, you know, we, we don't hear about Joseph ever again after the temple appearance at the age yeah. of 12, which we're going to get into, mm-hmm. he disappears. But, but this man was trustworthy enough by God that he put Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, the living Messiah in her womb into his hands. And, um, it, it was a tremendous challenge for him. I mean, you can see this is, this had to be a tremendous stressful environment for him. He's trusted, but yet still faces incredible challenges. So again, probably a lesson for us that we should expect them. Um, so, so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Never really thought about, I wonder how many days that was and how long this kind of stress was being prolonged in that, in that way. Um, and then verse seven in Luke two, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is, you know, one of the greatest ironies of, of all time that the creator has no room in even a little inn in Bethlehem. You know, what, what do you, what does that make? What does that make you think about? It's, it's the utmost humility. It's the opposite of what the Jews expected. Their Messiah, you know, yeah. he said the foxes have dens, the birds have nests, the son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. He owns literally everything. And yet in the flesh, he owns nothing. And um, what a staggering contrast it to is. his worth. The ultimate power and the ultimate nothingness. All in one one night in the same time. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's it's uh it's amazing, and this I I think the way it's described here, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, just like any other baby, laid him in a manger, which is worse than you would think. I mean, that's not how Mary imagined um, her you know her life to go. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, the baby would be in such humble circumstances. Um, but uh, I just think of the uh, just the trust that you know you're talking about in Joseph, the trust in Mary as well. Um, somebody who would be willing to stick with it, you know, like despite all the the the, the humbling circumstances and trying to go to bed that night, trying to go to sleep that night in the manger. You see, there's a lot of movie depictions of it that help you to imagine that. Um, but um, which I think most most of those. You know, you got donkeys in here. You got animals. You got the. Oh, it doesn't smell too good. That's what I was going to say. The smell of <laughs> you know, animals, and um, it's it's an incredibly unsanitary environment. Yeah, it's, totally. You have no doctor. You no have Joseph, doctor. who's probably never de- delivered a baby. before. Very doubtful. <laughs> yep. And and so 
it's not only a humble environment, it's beyond humble. It's a humiliating environment. It, it, yeah. And, it's and, a dangerous environment. Absolutely. And so why would he be born in those circumstances? Mm, that's the question. Why? So It could have been anywhere, a mountaintop. It could have been in a palace. Yes. But it was in the worst. You, you pick one place that would be the worst place to have a baby. It would, it would be there. Yep. Um, that's the question. Can I, can I talk about that? We well, got time? let's let's pick this up. We're okay. going to do part two okay. next right. next week um, on Faith and Flagler. Um, but I want to say again, thank you to our sponsors: Douglas Property and Development, Big John's Appliances, and to Stevenson Wilcox and Associates. I'm here with Joe Campatella. We're going to do part two of this uh, next week. We only got through the first seven verses. Um, but, uh, I, this has, this has been a great conversation and we'll pick up there in verse eight in Luke two next week on faith and flagler. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Thanks, Joe.